Hello and welcome to episode 162 of the Waters Wavelength Podcast. I'm Anthony Malakian and I'm joined by James Rundle. Hello. And fortunately for you all, uh, we are actually joined by John Ramsey, uh, Chief Market Policy Officer at Investors Exchange, better known as IEX. Thanks for being here. Thank you. I'm really happy to be here. <laughs> so we wanted to have you on. We're going to have a discussion about the transaction fee pilot. Mm-hmm. Before we get into that, why don't you tell us a little bit about, you know, for those who maybe aren't familiar with you, what your role is at IEX. Sure. Um, so I've been now uh, at IEX close to five years in July, which is kind of amazing that it's um, the time has gone so fast. So uh, chief market policy officer is kind of like a made up title, but I, I try to um, communicate to a whole range of constituencies our views on market structure issues um, that are important. What we stand for, why we stand for it, what we're pushing for. I try to work with uh, government agencies, principally the SEC and others. Uh, also with uh, folks like pension funds, institutional investors, to try to make sure that we maintain those alliances. And then there are a whole host of kind of um, infrastructure committees that the very exchanges um, are involved in that I also participate in. So okay. it's a it's wide a wine, ranging. Job, it's a wine ranging. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And your, your background, John, is uh, mostly regulatory, right? You were at the SEC and the CFTC before that? Yeah, it's a whole host. Of, I've, I've, I've done a lot of different things, I've uh, both in the public and the private sector, but uh, most immediately before I came to uh, – uh, to IEX, I was at the SEC. I returned to the SEC um, after Dodd Frank to help with uh, implementing uh, some of the Dodd Frank rules, and I ended up uh, taking over in an interim capacity the Trading and Markets Division there for about, and I ended up being at the SEC for about three and a half years. Um, mm-hmm. So, so I was there at the time that the book Flash Boys came out. I was interested in the equity market issues and and interested in what these guys at IEX uh, and and women at IEX were doing. Uh, and so after I left the SEC, they reached out to me, uh, and as soon as I connected with them and learned more about what they were doing and why they were doing it, I wanted to be a part of it. So, yeah. And just it, it, while I got to imagine that for our listener base that everybody knows what Flash Boys is, book written by Michael Lewis uh, several years ago, um, right as you guys were just launching about, uh, and it talked about IEX, what you guys were trying to build, how it was different than, you know, the stalwart exchanges. Um, and right. so just, just kind of just to let people know what that is in case they were wondering. Yeah. Um, so, and I think that that kind of leads nicely then into this idea of the transaction fee pilot, right? Mm-hmm. That this is something that's been talked about a lot over these last six, eight months, and even before then, obviously. Um, but maybe to give our listeners a little bit of a background on it, why don't you talk a little bit about what it is and what the purpose behind it was? Sure. So I'm, I assume that your uh, listeners are probably fairly sophisticated, um, so I won't go into too much detail, but um, people probably know that uh, the, the, a dominant method for the big exchanges of trying to get um, orders is paying rebates to people who are willing to post on their market. So if those orders end up getting executed, the brokers that send the orders get a payment um, in return. That practice, uh, it's not always been that way. Exchanges have not always um, primarily operated that way, but they started doing so in order to compete with um, electronic markets. And that practice has become more and more controversial over a number of years, um, particularly with institutional investors, um, but also with a lot of brokers. 
And the main reason is that when exchanges pay rebates, um, the brokers who receive the rebates typically don't pass them on to their clients. And often, just as an accounting measure, it can be difficult um, to sort of figure out how to allocate those out. So as a practical matter, they're not passed back. Um, So brokers may have an incentive to route customer orders um, in a way that doesn't align with the client's best interest. Um, particularly because on these rebate-paying exchanges, clients often uh, end up with a worse execution, um, at, you know, executing at a worse, worse price, and there's plenty of data to, um, to um, back that up. So this has been controversial for a long time. Um, the SEC took a very uh, slow, deliberate approach to studying the issue over a period of years. Um, and finally wound up with um, a, uh, this, this so-called fee pilot, which is a way of testing what happens for a group of stocks if you don't allow exchanges to pay rebates. Do you know, people route into different way? Do investors end up with better executions at the end of the process? So this was very slow and deliberate and fairly conservative on their part. Um, and after reviewing hundreds and hundreds of comment letters and publishing hundreds of pages of explanations about what they were doing and why they were doing it, uh, they finally adopted this pilot test at the end of last year. And the big exchanges almost immediately sued the SEC uh, to try to basically alleging that the uh, that this was a case of, you know, egregious government overreach and it was arbitrary and where did this come from and why are they doing this and what kind of awful things are going to happen. Uh, so that's kind of where we are at this point. Uh, the, the court, which is the federal D.C. Circuit Court, is in the position of um, hearing that. And, you know, the exchanges have every legal right um, to make this, um, make this challenge. Uh, but... I think the fact that they've done it, particularly in the circumstances where we're really just talking about testing for the purpose of getting data to then determine whether uh, more action should be taken around rebates, just shows how heavily exchanges are invested in this uh, existing method and their concerns that if they're not able to pay rebates that their, their business will be undermined. Not that the market market will suffer, mm-hmm. that their own businesses will suffer. Well, and, and just to give some context uh, for our listeners, the main premise that I believe that they're suing under right is the Administrative Procedure Act. Sure. Um, and they say that, and so this is NYSE, SIBO, NASDAQ, um, saying that the SEC did not properly define uh, a problem to solve, that they failed to analyze cost-benefit before going with this, um, and that it penalizes lit exchanges compared to dark pools. So that's their contention. Right. I'm assuming that you do not agree with that. No, I don't think there's really any basis for that. That's sort of like the, the as you say, Administrative Procedure Act, the APA, APA argument, is kind of the default go-to argument by people, by industry, people that are um, trying to challenge any kind of um, regulatory action. But it basically boils down to an argument that the government acted abruptly and without a reasonable basis um, and without you know, considering the the costs and benefits um, of proceeding in in a particular way, um, and I just don't think in this in these circumstances there any there's any basis at all for um, making that kind of again because as I said, this process has been underway for so long, um, considering so many different comments, including 
the, a universal support for this pilot by institutional investors with dozens and dozens of comment letters, um, all of the biggest names and asset managers and many of the um, pension funds as well, um, speaking out firmly um, in favor of it. A number of significant brokers as well um, have also done that. Um, and so, and you know, the buy side folks, um, everybody has some kind of stake in this issue and, you know, uh, people are fond of saying everybody's always sort of talking their own book, um, and that may be fair, uh, but in this circumstance, the institutional investors that are um, have spoken out in favor of this, their really only interest is making sure that their uh, that the individual investors that they represent have a fair, efficient market, um, and um, that they're getting executed at a fair price, mm-hmm. um, and um, so. The, the, they have spoken out pretty clearly, and at a bare minimum, the universal support by the investor community um, shows that this is not an arbitrary action um, in any way. So, I mean, it's a strange situation, right, to find such an aligned um, front from, I guess, kind of real money folks, uh, the pension funds, everyone else against the exchanges um, who have taken a very adamant perspective, as we just said, going to the appellate court asking for a review of the the rule and everything else. Um, from the exchange perspective, um, y- 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 why is this being so fiercely opposed? It can't just be a revenue thing, right? It has to be something to do with business models or something more fundamental than that. It's- yes. Well, it's, it's definitely tied into business models. So remember that the, the, obviously the business, the equity markets business is very competitive, but the principal way that existing exchanges manage to maintain their uh, share of the entire pie is by offering these rebate payments. Um, so if they're required to compete just on the basis of what's, what are the quality of executions, um, how good are the executions they're getting people, I think their, their fear, um, and I think their justifiable fear, is that they'll have less orders routed to them. Um, the rebate payments um, assure them of a certain level of order flow that wouldn't necessarily otherwise go to them. Um, and so, you know, I think, um, I, you know, I think the fear, which I certainly understand, um, is that they'll end up with uh, a smaller piece of the overall pie. And that's, that certainly explains why it is they, they're fighting it so hard. Uh, but um, it doesn't provide any more justification for for doing it. You know, the New York Stock Exchange put out a an opinion piece that said they were suing the SEC because they, uh, you know, they wanted to save the market, or um, I, I'm, they're trying to save their own market. Um, and I, you know, they're part of a public company. I understand why they're trying to do that, but that's what this is all about. Well, and just to give a little bit of context to that, uh, just because we actually, um, for the May issue, uh, Stacey Cunningham, who's the president of the New York Stock Exchange, which is now owned by the Intercontinental Exchange, um, we talked a little bit about this, and she wrote, as you said, an opinion piece about why they were suing uh, them. And so she contends that, uh, and this is, you touched on this already, but the new rule amounts to unnecessary exercise in government price setting, which will add a new layer of complexity to the equity markets in volatile times and the move could have dire consequences for investors, she said. Uh, she also thinks that the pilot will impose government control incentives that public markets can offer, thus market maker benefits will be sharply reduced for some securities and eliminated for others. Thus, the, the, if, if, if in a rush, 
liquidity providers will uh, move out of the will back back away and have no reason to stay mm-hmm. in there. Mm-hmm. Why? What would you say to that? Because it does. I, th- I think there's certainly some concern that would exist there, and there's. I think that, that that's based in merit. It's not just you know we're scared of change, right? So uh, you know, I think that uh, clearly, if you are free to offer rebates, um, there may be some firms that will. Uh, be posting quotes um, because of that rebate incentive that may be less inclined to post quotes if they don't have that particular incentive. That does not mean, however, that the quality of the market for uh, those stocks is going to deteriorate as a result of that, um, because it's not uh, it's not just a question of uh, how many firms are competing in order to be at the top of the queue um, to get executed or uh, the uh, number of uh, quotes um, that are posted. It's also kind of like how uh, how firm are those quotes, how stable are they, how likely are they to vanish um, in, in a case of more volatility, um, what's the total size, or the amount of size of uh, trading interests that people are willing to uh, uh, are willing to post. All of those things can change in a no-rebate environment, we think, in a way that can actually um, help um, and compensate for the fact that maybe you won't have as many firms that are um, quoting all of the time. Um, so, I, you know, I think their, their argument is a theoretical one, um, but I think, but again, this is the, 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 the purpose for conducting a pilot like this is that there's no good way to know the answer unless you run the test. And they're basically saying, no, you can never even test this. You can't. We don't want to get the information that would allow us to actually answer this question. Okay. And then there were two other kind of components that, what would you say to the fact that the there are more stock exchanges in the market, you guys being one of them, and yeah. now you have a proposed, the members uh, exchange uh, could hit the market. That would be the 14th. I think Miami uh, has... Uh, they just launched Emerald, I think. Just launched just, Emerald, I right. think they've announced that they want to. Yeah, not yeah, clear, maybe by the end of the year, yeah. so, right? So yeah. they can use as well, I think. By so. the end of the year, yeah. that could mean 15 potential exchanges yeah. in the market. And so, because I think everybody agrees that these fees are going up and that yeah. it is a problem that yeah. needs to be addressed. Fragmentation has been a big driver of this, but that genie is also out of the bottle. Yeah. So, how do you contend with that? With that, and being one of those startups that's trying to enter into the market? Yeah, uh, I think fragmentation is a real concern, um, and it is something that that people are right to uh, talk about. I think that um, I would distinguish cases where you have a uh, a new independent exchange that is really trying to offer something um, materially different in terms of choice for market participants that they don't have now from kind of just cookie-cutter uh, clones of the existing exchange model that are all under the same exchange. So remember, we've got like 13 equity exchanges now, including IEX. Twelve of those, all but us, are owned by one of three companies. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've got five NYSE, uh exchanges, you've got three NASDAQ, the rest are um, SIBO. Those exchanges are not competing with each other. Um, 
and they're you know they're all just offering kind of minor variations on the same kind of make or taker pricing um, scheme. So they're not really offering any real choice uh, to to market participants. All they're really doing is they're creating more friction um, so that participants have to cope with the fact that there are all of these additional elements and keep track and connect to all of them and be prepared to, you know, route to um, any of them. That's really where the, the fragmentation has had, I think, a negative impact and why, you know, people have raised questions about whether, uh, you know, protected quotes, this um, sense that uh, where, where you're obligated to route to a particular market, whether that should be limited to certain markets that pass uh, a certain threshold in terms of market share. I think that's one idea that maybe is worth considering, um, and there may be there may be others, but clearly, it's it's uh, things have gotten a little out of hand um, in terms of because it it doesn't require that much in terms of capital or intellectual energy to start a new exchange if you're just kind of like cloning what's already sure. been there, and if you do that and you basically say the entire industry then is obligated to connect to you, um, do all of this work and then take into account yet another venue, that just seems to. Uh, kind of like be cockeyed in terms of the the relative uh, risks and benefits for the market as a whole. And just one more on the, on the fragmentation side, but and what's your contention, what's your stance on this idea that there are also 50-plus dark pools that exist and that they're not part of this pilot and that that's a, that's a significant reason why there, there was pushback um, from CBO, NASDAQ, and NYSE. Yeah, and, you know, look, um, I... Just to be clear, the existing, it's not like uh, the, the existing regulation doesn't limit how exchanges can charge for access now. That's, that's existed for a long time. Um, so this is just testing whether those existing rules should be changed a bit. And um, it is true that alternative trading systems are subject to a lot less regulation in a lot of different ways. And I think that's a legitimate thing to, to look at um, as to whether, uh, you know, they should be, uh, w- whether the relative um, burdens that are imposed on those two different kinds of, enemies, uh, of entities should be adjusted. Um, but that's... Uh, you know, that's not to say that the SEC couldn't make a reasonable judgment that the next step should be to test, test the elimination of rebates with exchanges. And then separately, look at what you do with ATSs and um, are there some additional responsibilities that you want to place on them. And just clarify, IX itself doesn't have any make-or-take a rebate model, does it? No, we don't. We pay uh, a flat fee um, for people who make and people who take, and we do um, provide. We try to provide um, some incentive to market makers. Um, you know, in terms of the total amount of uh, uh, the total fees that they um, pay, but it's a it's a pretty flat model. Um, mm-hmm. So basically, our our um, uh, you know philosophy on this is that. Um, people ought to pay um, for good quality execution, um, and they ought to pay fees that are clear and transparent, um, and that you know sort of flow through to the to the client's benefit, um, and where the client can cl- clearly see um, what what they're paying for and what they're getting in return. Um, and we just think that's a healthier model. It's not like exchanges have always uh, you know been in this business of. Um, 
paying maker taker fees. And then you've also got exchanges increasingly relying on uh, market data and connectivity revenue, this sort of mm-hmm. subscription revenue, which is also not something that we do. Um, that becomes uh, a bigger and bigger burden on the industry, um, and, and that's also something that we've been outspoken about. Sorry, I think I misspoke on that. We charge a flat fee to everybody who um, participates on our market. We don't pay anybody for uh, for coming here, and we think that, th- that that's a fair way to uh, run the market because everybody knows exactly what they're paying for and why they're paying it. So. Okay. Well, can, I, can I ask you then, so to that point that you don't uh, charge for market data where the exchanges do, it's, it's very, very valuable business, obviously. Mm-hmm. But the contention that they're making is that the total cost to trade – for them is lower than it is for IEX, than it is to trade on IEX. So that when you consider the co-location cost, the transaction fee, the market data fee, that you take it all into account, that it's more expensive to trade on IEX than it is to trade on NASDAQ, NYSE, something like that. Right, so that's a misrepresentation, um, and it's based on the, what they've done is they basically have said, okay, let's look at all of the shares that we're executing over a particular period of time. Then we're going to take all of the different costs that all of our firms um, pay and then divide the one number by the other and come up with an average per share um, cost of execution. The problem is that no one firm pays that average. Um, you know, that's sort of a made-up fictional number. Um, so what, uh, what, what really is going on, they also have acknowledged that there's a very small number of firms that actually end up on a net pay basis getting a check from them um, at the end uh, of the month. Um, and, you know, because of the rebates that those particular firms are receiving. Mm-hmm. So you have a very small number of firms um, that are, uh, you know, uh, very invested in the system that end up. But everybody else is paying way in excess of what they claim is the average um, number. And so it really raises questions about whether this structure provides fair access to all the full range of securities firms that are participating in the market, particularly those firms that are representing customer orders. You know, I mean, some of the after we raise these questions and they, you know, they came up with these explanations about the, uh, you know, the average, uh, the all-in cost of trade. Some of the some of the uh, agency brokers went to them and said, "Well, that's interesting. We'd like to know what our average cost is, just based on our orders." Um, they're still waiting for that answer. Um, so, uh, it, and, and we'd love to know as well. But that's information that they don't really want to share. I guess just a couple of uh, procedural questions, really, um, that I had just about. Coming back to the TFP sort of uh, petition to review and everything else, I mean, you've worked in regulation. Uh, I've covered regulation. I think anybody who has any tangential involvement in it knows that when a regulatory proposal is made, it tends to be costed. It tends to have an impact assessment or something like that as well. So, you know, the use of the uh, the administrative act and everything just seems a bit weird as a contention for it. I mean, what's your kind of read of it as a former regulator and, and sort of lawyer? Yeah, like, I mean, you know, it's kind of like, I, I, I look, I think it's sort of the Hail Mary pass. I mm-hmm. think that it's, you know, it's the one clear avenue that they have uh, in order to challenge this at this point. And frankly, I don't really even think that they think that they're, they're going to be successful at the end of the day. I think their hope is that they're going to be able to uh, delay this um, for, you know, long enough 
that maybe at some point before the pilot actually kicks in, there will be a new regime in place at the SEC or, you know, something else will dramatic will happen to intervene. And maybe, you know, they're sort of playing the clock at this point um, and hoping that they can sort of delay it as long as possible. And this is the one kind of leg that they've got to stand on in that regard. So what are the potential sort of outcomes? I mean, in terms, if you'll forgive my ignorance, but the the, the court's sort of powers, they can either... Uh, strike it down and send it back to the SEC, they can dismiss it with prejudice, or, or they can, uh, what's the sort of potential outcomes, I guess, from this? Yeah, case? I mean, the, the two clearest ones are that they can just reject it, um, or they, uh, you know, if they thought that there were particular aspects of the pilot, for example, that they, uh, either they, that, that they don't like or that they uh, think need more scrutiny, then they could send those back for the SEC to get sort of a fuller explanation. But I think the record is so uh, long and kind of clear on this at this point that I think the likelihood is that there's going to be sort of an up or down decision on it. Um, and and I think it's going to happen this year as well. Uh, I think the exchanges say in their court filings that they want to have an expedited um, review. Uh, I don't think they actually do, but mm-hmm. I think they've, they've taken that position. Um, the, the latest information I've seen about the court schedule indicated that the court um, wants to have all of the uh, various filings um, considered and in, in uh, by September. Okay. Um, and if that happens, then it, they certainly um, should be in a position to rule by the end of the year. Okay. And so the, we greatly appreciate coming on and you know giving us your perspective and IEX's perspective on the transaction fee pilot. Uh, we know that, especially on Twitter and everywhere, that there's a lot of different ideas around this, and this is uh, certainly going to be something that's going to be discussed in greater detail as uh, this goes through the courts. Um, before we let you go, IEX, with what you guys are building there, uh, is there anything interesting, anything that maybe that our, that our listeners should be aware of beyond just this kind of regulatory aspect of it, but just some of the things that you guys are working on uh going in 2019 and 20? Sure. Uh, I mean, all kinds of things, but I'll just I'll just sort of focus on the one um, talking about market data connectivity. Um, as I said, we have a different kind of uh, model around that. We don't charge like the other exchanges do um, for those kinds of things. Uh, but we're trying to be proactive and actually work with the industry to come up with uh, a, a proposal or ideas around um, how exchanges should have to disclose their own costs and revenues from selling those products so that everybody, you know, that everybody can see um, how much money they're taking in and what it costs to produce them. We've already done a study ourselves of our own costs um, to produce these kinds of um, products and put that out into the public domain. Um, so we want to continue to try to be a leader on this in a way that I, I, I think there's pretty much universal agreement by everybody but the exchanges that something needs to be done. So, so definitely look for more movement on that one. All right. Well, thanks for your time today. We appreciate it. Thank you. I've really enjoyed it. I uh, hope to talk to you guys again. Cheers.